Welcome to church, everybody. Let's stand to our feet. My name is Moses, and I'm excited that we were all gathered here together to lift high the name of Jesus, that we've uh, come to give him all the glory, all the praise, because he's worthy of it. And as we prepare our hearts this morning, I wanna read Psalm 66 over us. It says, shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise, they sing praises of your name. Come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. And as we sing this morning, our desire is that we'll be reminded of his greatness, his faithfulness, and his nearness towards us this morning. So church, let's give everything we've got to him because he's most worthy of it. Here we go.
Father, we worship your name, God. Help us to live in light of that truth, that great are you, Lord. You are great above all things, Lord, above everything that we face, above every trial, Lord, and we worship your name today. Come and speak to us, Lord. Our hearts are open. Be here with us today, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. You guys can have a seat. My name is Stephanie Geisler. I'm the Central Women's Director, and I'm so glad you decided to join us today. Welcome to Harvest. If this is your first time, a special welcome to you. We're so glad you decided to join us this Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you after service. We have a welcome table in the lobby, and we'd love to connect with you and answer any questions you have about our church and help you meet some of our leaders and our staff. We wanna make sure you're also getting connected for anyone here coming to our church. And one of the ways we do that is through the Connect card. And that's on our Harvest Bible Chapel app. So pull out your phone and click on the Harvest Bible Chapel app and click Connect card. If you don't have the app, you can scan the QR code on the back of the seat in front of you. And this lets us know how we can be praying for you throughout the week, lets us know that you're here, and also has ways you can get connected here at the church. So this is just an opportunity for us to, as a staff to connect and care for you. Now, if you are a junior high student, if you are in sixth, seventh, or eighth grade, this is your time to go to the junior high room and go to junior high service. So you can follow Larry over here and you can be able to go to service. So it's gonna be a separate service for you guys. It's super fun, so you may now exit. So everyone who is on staff right now is on sabbatical. So that's an opportunity for us to be renewed and refreshed. So we have one more week of Sabbath week for most of our staff. And we will be back, everyone will be back July 15th and 16th. But we have the joy right now of having a guest speaker today. And we have Dr. Watson Jones from Salem Baptist Church who's gonna be bringing the word today. And we're really excited. So we're gonna give him a warm harvest welcome as he preaches this morning. Also part of our services, we always take time to give our offering. And I wanna read this passage over us. Hebrews 13, five says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We wanna worship the giver and not the gift. And we know that God will never leave us or forsake us. And we want to express our gratitude to the Lord. And we do that through our acts of service and our time, but also through our finances. And so there's several ways to give that are listed on the screen. You can give online, through text. We also have blue boxes on the, in the back of the room that we are able to drop a check or some cash in. So make sure you take some time to give to the Lord either today or throughout the week. I wanna take some time to be able to pray for our service today, but also for Salem Baptist Church and Pastor Watson Jones and the ministry that they are doing in Chicago and also for our offering. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for who you are. God, you are holy, you are righteous, and you are so good to us. Lord, we thank you we are in your house today, that we get to worship you in spirit and truth and be gathered together as believers. Lord, I thank you for Salem Baptist Church. I thank you for the work you're doing in and through them in Chicago. Lord, I pray that they are a beacon of light in a city that needs you, Lord. 
And Lord, I pray that you just encourage them in the ministry that they are doing there. Lord, I pray for Dr. Watson and for Pastor Charlie, that Lord, you would be with them, that Lord, you would strengthen them. And Lord, I pray um, for Dr. Jones as he's preaching this morning, that Lord, you would just anoint him afresh. That Lord, you would just continue to move in and through him and work through his preparation. And Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts for what you have to say to us this morning. That Lord, we wanna hear from you because God, we know that your truth is what sets us free, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you be with us, be in the teaching of your word, and Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So grab your Bibles and welcome Pastor Watson Jones. Because he's made it, we rejoice and we're glad in it. Is there anybody excited to be in the presence of God with his people this morning? Uh, there are some who are struggling with that excitement. But we are grateful to be in the house of the Lord and to be with his people. I, I want to first say it is an honor and a privilege to stand before you this morning. I bid you greetings from our home church, Salem Baptist Church where our senior pastor is Pastor Charlie Dace. And uh, it is a joy to be here, such a legendary church in our city, our region, our nation, and our world. And so I count it an honor to be able to share God's word with you throughout the campuses that are represented by Harvest. So if you got your Bibles, will you meet me in the book of Genesis? Genesis chapter 18. Now, I want to give you a bit of a warning. We, we're going to read a bit of Genesis 18, and then we're going to flip over to Genesis 21. So you might want to put your finger there uh, in preparation for us to turn there. When you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. Looking, say, still looking. It's all right. It's, it's no judgment. No judgment. You're still looking. It's okay. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible in case it reads differently from yours. I want to read chapter 18, verses 1 to 15. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham at the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of the tent during the heat of the day. And he looked up and he saw there were three men standing near him. And when he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them, and he bowed to the ground, and he said, My Lord, if I have found favor with you, please do not go past your servant, but let a little water be uh, brought that you may wash your feet and rest under the tree, and I, I'll bring a bit of bread so that you can strengthen yourself. This is why you have passed your servant's way. And then later, you can continue on. Yes, they replied, do as you have said. And so Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, Quick, knead three measures of fine flour and make bread. And Abraham ran to the herd and got a tender, calf, a tender choice calf, and he gave it to a young man who hurried to prepare it. 
Then Abraham took curds and milk as well as the calf that he had prepared, and he set them before the men, and he served them as they ate under the tree. Where's your wife? They asked him. There in the tent, he answered. Then the Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah, now they were old and they were not getting younger. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself. After I'm worn out and my Lord, my husband is old, will I actually have delight? But the Lord answered Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, can I really have a child when I'm old? Is there anything impossible for the Lord? And at the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, you will have a son. Now, Sarah denied it. I didn't laugh. She was scared. But he replied, you did laugh. Flip over to chapter 21, verse 1. And then the Lord came to Sarah, as he had said. The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age and at the appointed time that God had told him. And Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one that Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. And Abraham, he was a 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And then Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. For also, she also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in my old age. I want to speak to you on the topic this morning, the question that deserves an answer. The question that deserves an answer. Will you pray with me? Most holy God, our Father, we thank you for the moment that we have. We have sung to you, we have given to you, and now, Lord, we're here to listen to you from the preacher to the pew. God, we thank you that you're with us and you delight to speak to us. Now, God, give us ears to hear you. Give us hearts that are open to your truth. Give us hands to grab it, but more than anything, let us not be people who know a bunch of stuff and do little with what we know, but give us feet to run after you. God, I pray for the preacher this morning. Pray for me that you would give me grace that is beyond me. Give me strength. Give me anointing. Give me power. Take this thing that I have prepared. You, Lord, know what I have done. I ask that you take it and add some Holy Ghost to it, that you would take it to the hearts of your people, that you would speak as people need to be spoken to. I pray that you would pull down fear and doubt, that you would be made visible, and that if there are those around who don't know you, that they would be drawn to the beauty of your Son, those who do know you, may they be encouraged deeper in their walk with you. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, let those things be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray this prayer. If you agree with me this morning, will you please say amen? Amen, amen, and amen. Life, if you think about it, it is like a winding road with many turns and many junctures. And often as you follow this road called life, you come to places in your life where you are posed with questions that warrant an answer. I remember when the joy of high school coming to an end was before me, and I was looking at college admissions, I did not choose colleges by randomly throwing darts at a map. Instead, I pondered a deeper question, questions like, who am I? Why did God make me? What is it that God would have me do with my life? Because the answer to those questions would determine the steps that I would take next. Questions like these are questions that we find on this road called life that warrant real answers. Because if you cannot answer the question, why has God made me? Who has God made me to be? Then you will live your life frivolously floating around with no purpose in your sights. Those are questions that are existential in nature. Those are questions that make you wonder why you're here. But I want to present to you a question that is not existential, but a question that is deeply theological. It is the question that sits under the surface of this text. It is a question that is asked by God and raised in this text. But I want to surrender to you. It is a question that we ask often. It's a question that is a subtext to almost every prayer that we pray. And it is a question that says, is there anything impossible for God? Maybe I'm the only one in the room who's ever had to pose it, but there are moments in life where I have been stuck with the question, not will God do it, but really, is God able to do it? Can God answer the request that I have lifted to him? Can God change the situation that I'm presenting before him? Is God able? And the question that we raise this morning, is there anything too hard for God? When you dive into the deepness of this text, you begin to see that this is a question that is posed to Abraham, but deeper than Abraham, it is really posed to Sarah. Sarah, who is asked this and brought to a place where there is an answer that God brings at the conclusion that there is nothing that God cannot do. And the answer to that question would shape not just Abraham, it would shape Isaac, it would shape Jacob, it, it would shape all throughout the generations that there is nothing too hard for God. You see it as you dive into the first movement of this story, there is a divine visit and a warm welcome. This visit that you see in chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, is an unexpected visit. There you see Abraham sitting at the door of his tent. He's sitting there in the middle of the day while the sun is at its hottest. It is the time where the sun would stamp its burning hot brand upon the surface of the earth, and it would mark its steps, saying that this is a moment that you find some shade. Abraham is resting. He is sitting, and he's watching the sun do its thing. But suddenly, while Abraham is there, 
three men appear in front of him. This is a curious thing because anyone in Abraham's neighborhood knew that at the high part of the sun, no one walked around that time. It was when the sun was at the hottest point of the day, everyone during that time would be sitting under a tree trying to wait for the sun to find its shelter. But the fact that these three men appear, it catches Abraham by surprise and it makes him wonder. Well, these are not regular men. The text tells us that the Lord is the one who is appearing to Abraham. This we understand is a theophany. It is a physical representation of God in human form. When Abraham sees him, I need you to note his actions, this old man who is around 99 years old doesn't have the energy of a 30-year-old man. This 99-year-old man sees these three people and something about these people makes him get up and what does he do? He runs to them in the heat of the day, and when he gets there, he bows to the ground, and then he says, my Lord, let me serve you. There's a such thing as Abraham's hospitality, but this is a little bit more than hospitality, because Abraham recognized that there was something different about one of those men. You understand the story of Abraham, that God had appeared to Abraham in chapter 12, verses 7, that God also appeared to Abraham in chapter 17. I don't know how Abraham knew, but his actions indicate to us that he recognized that these were not just regular men, but something about these men said that there is a divine presence among him. The Lord had appeared, and when the Lord showed up to Abraham, what did the Lord find? a welcomed heart. Here's my question for you this morning. When the Lord comes to you, when the Lord knocks on the door of your soul, when the door peeks at you, when the Lord peeks at you, when he comes near you, what does he find? Yes, it is true that where two or more are gathered whenever you come to church on a Saturday or a Sunday, the Lord's presence is real. That's true. Yes, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God gives you a wonderful gift called the Holy Ghost that lives in you and God is with you. But those who walk with the Lord know that this is deeper than a theological intellectual ascent, but something happens when God shows up. It is mysterious. It is the deep calling to the deep. Something in your soul recognizes that its originator that breathed life into existence has now come near it, and its soul recognizes that God is there. My question for you is when God visits you, when God comes near you, what kind of welcome do you give God when he chooses to visit you? Chicago just hosted the NASCAR street races, and this city went through much to prepare for the welcome of tourists and people interested in the races. The DuSable Lakeshore Drive was rerouted, and Streets were closed between Michigan and the lake, and hotels and restaurants spent money to make sure that the space looked cleaner and more presentable for the people that would come into town. When it was all said and done, Chicago spent 
one million dollars just to welcome people into its city. Why? Because when visitors come, they deserve a warm welcome and a welcoming reception. Oftentimes when we come to the Lord's presence, we come with a dusty and a rusty kind of energy. We show up on Sunday as if God owes us something. We show up with our chest pointed out saying, God, didn't you see all that I did this week? You ought to be happy to be with me. But it was the Lord who woke you up this morning. It was the Lord who gave you air to breathe in your lungs. It was the Lord who set your heart's rhythm in motion and you have no control over it. It was the Lord who redeemed you and forgave you and kept you throughout the night. It was the Lord that brought you through. Well, if God has been that good to you, why do we give him a rusty welcome when he comes near us? This is the kind of welcome that you see when Abraham sees them, it was quick, he ran. He was open and he was humble because although he was the man in the streets, he got low before God. It was a passionate and a generous welcome because he did not give God his leftovers. Give me the choice calf. Honey, make some nice cake. Give these people some water, and I'm not even going to eat with them. I'm going to stand back and watch them do it because I want the welcome. I want the visitors who have chosen to come see me today to experience the beauty of my generosity. When God comes near you, you ought not be holding your hands tight and tightening up your chest, but it ought to be a heart that says, God, I am open to you because you have been good to me, and since you have been good to me, there is nothing that I will not give you because you are a God who has given me so much. When God shows up to you, what kind of welcome does he find? Is it one that says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise because God has been good to me. When the Lord visits you, what does he find? Sometimes he finds joy. Sometimes he finds hands raised. Sometimes he finds tears in your eyes. Sometimes he finds shouts of jubilation, but sometimes he finds something different. Sometimes when the Lord shows up, he is met by a cynical, cynical and a doubt-filled person. You know who the cynic is. They're some of us. These are those who have experienced pain in life. Those who have experienced trouble, and those troubles seem to win for the day. These are the ones who have prayed and prayed and are still praying to see God do things that God has not done yet. These are those who have seen their faith put on dim lights and dark cloaks to become friends of doubt. These are those who are deep in knowledge sometimes but are functionally agnostic. These are the ones who, when they pray, so that they protect their hearts from being disappointed by God's answer to prayer, they choose to pray weak prayers. You, you know what I mean by weak prayers. These, these are prayers that lack any sort of specificity. Th these are the prayers that are not bold. These are the prayers that are not anchored to God's word, but these are simple prayers that say, let your will be done. 
Now, don't get me wrong, there are times in life where you have to say to God because you don't really know what to pray, Lord, let your will be done. But there are some prayers we pray where God actually wants to hear you be audacious enough to say, God, I believe you're able, can you do it? The cynic is the one who, when God confronts them in the word, they say, yeah, that's a nice story, but I don't know if God can do it for me. This is who God sees when God comes here. It is an impossible word that he gives in verses 9 to 15 that is met by a cynical heart. The question the text asks is, where, where is Sarah? That, that's the question that the men ask Abraham, the Lord, and the two that are sitting there. They have their back to Abraham. The Lord hasn't even turned to look his direction. Where is Sarah? God is omniscient, meaning God know a lot about a lot. God has never needed you nor I to give him advice or wisdom about anything. God doesn't pose the question because he doesn't know the answer. But God is posing the question to get at Sarah. Where is Sarah, the Lord asks, and Abraham points and says, right over there. The Lord then says, without even looking her direction, I, I will certainly come back to you in a year's time, and you're going to have a child. You miss the emphasis. He says, I'm not just coming back, but I, I, even I certainly will come back and you will have a child. You, you see, Sarah hears the question, hears the statement, and what does she do? She laughs. This is not a laughter of joy. This is a laughter of doubt. She says, after I'm worn out, I'm 90-something years old, and I am beyond the years of ever having a child. After I have lost my ability to produce a child, how is it that I'm going to suddenly enjoy the fruits of a child? Where, where is Sarah? She, she doesn't know that it is the Lord speaking to her but she's laughing because she feels like this is a cruel joke that this person is praying, playing. She is 90 years old, and you have to see it from her perspective that over the years she had prayed, and she had tried, and she had failed, and she had hoped, and she had visited, and she tried and failed, and failed and tried and hoped and waited and waited to no answer, only to come to the point where she has menopause and the possibility of her having a child is dead. Hope is gone. She has watched people close to her try with little effort to produce a child, but she who tries never has a child. She watched even as her servant Hagar gets pregnant by her husband and produces a child. But she has not had a child. She has grown used to the reality that it may never be a thing for her to ever have a child. Disappointment probably began to settle in her heart and bitterness probably began to grow in her soul because she had accepted that hope of her ever having a child had died. The present reality of her situation was real, but where is she? She is not in a tent. She is trapped in the handcuffs of cynicism. This is why she laughs, because disbelief makes her doubt the very ability of God. 
What happens in your life when a dream is deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or does it fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat? Or does it crust and sugar over like syrup sweet? Maybe it sags like a heavy load. Or merely does it explode? Where are you this morning with the disappointments of your life? What happens when the things you hope for never come to fruition? What happens when the dreams that you have are deferred? What happens when you pray for your marriage and it seems to get worse? What happens when you hope for your kids and they run farther from the Lord? What happens when you give all your time to a job that gives you a pink slip? What happens when you have saved up and the economy turns and you lose your money? What happens when you pray and you cry only to find no answer? What does it produce in the heart of a person? Sometimes it produces faith, but oftentimes it produces cynicism. This is where you see it. God draws near not because he's cold and he's callous, but God draws near to confront the skeptic in your heart so that he can highlight his power in your life. I want you to note it. With his back to Sarah, who is hiding behind the door the Lord hears rather loudly the silence of her voice. He hears it in high definition. Why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. Yes, you laughed. And he poses a question to her that makes her wonder, is there anything impossible for God? You have to hear it. As God tells her this, She's left with this question ringing around in her head because in essence, what God is saying to her is, Sarah, your body couldn't do it on its own. The doctors could not make it happen. But watch when I come back and I step back. What the doctor said it could never be, I'm going to make it so. Is there anything impossible for God? Life has a way of rooting doubt deep within our souls. Things perhaps don't go the way that you want them to go, doubt grows. Or perhaps some of you, the idea of faith just doesn't make sense. But God probes the questions of your soul that he might open a deeper discovery for you about him. There was a question that loomed large in the medical industry, and it was this. What is the cause of a peptic ulcer? You know ulcers, those painful sores that develop in your stomach or in your small intestines. This question had plagued doctors. Doctors could not find the answer, so they made up one. They believed that it came from lifestyle things like stress and spicy food. But the question still loomed when people made lifestyle changes only to still have ulcers. This question hung all throughout the 20th century until there was a doctor named Dr. Marshall, Dr. Barry Marshall, who saw the question and chose to probe it. Barry Marshall probes and confronts the question through experimentation only to come to a deeper answer that it ain't stress that causes these ulcers. It's a bacteria called Heliocobacter pylori that produces this bacteria. It is his confrontation 
of a long-standing question that brings out the deeper truth of what is causing this sickness. When God confronts the questions of your soul, the long-standing, the deep-abiding questions, God is not doing this for his sake, but he, for no reason, but he is doing it that he might bring you to a deeper discovery of him. That, friends, is the difference between nominal Christianity and a walk with Jesus. Nominal Christianity doesn't ever have questions. Nominal Christianity just checks off the creed boxes and never even considers walking with the Lord. But walking with God is a constant battle with the Lord where he is confronting the questions of your soul. He might pose a deeper question to show you that he has power. Let the Lord challenge your heart this morning. Let the Lord expose the doubts of your soul. Let the Lord probe the questions you keep pondering, the ones that sit as the subtext to your questions. Let the Lord probe your questions of doubt that he might demonstrate a deeper reality of who he is, that he is absolutely able. That's exactly what he does. Because God's goal is to make you trust him more. God's not trying to make you your bigger, better self. God's not interested in just merely making you as an independent person who never needs him. But the Lord is always trying to nurture a childlike dependence on him that says, my God is able because I know he is. This is what he does. You see God shows up Chapter 21, verses 1 to 7, you see a promised action and a joyful heart. God comes back, and verse 1 of chapter 21 says that he did for Sarah what he said he would do. But watch this. It was in the appointed time that he told them. I like this notion of appointed time. Because what it implies is that God doesn't move on your calendar. God moves on his. That when God in the, in the mind of God recognizes that he wants to do something, he does it when he's good and well ready to do it. But as they say in my old church, God may not show up when you want him, but he's always right on time because God does things in his appointed time. But I want you to know what happens. The baby's born. Abraham names him, has him circumcised, but note Sarah's response. She says, God has made me laugh. And everybody who hears this story, they're going to laugh with me. She said, who would have ever told Abraham that Sarah, my old self, would nurse a child, but yet a child has been born in my old age, whereas Sarah's first laugh was a laugh that was filled with much doubt, her second laugh is a laugh that is filled with much joy because she recognized that God didn't just throw a promise out there, but God came and did what nobody else could do. Who could have made a woman whose womb had been closed for probably 50 years suddenly open and produce a child? I'll answer it the way that DJ Khaled chooses, chooses to answer. God did. That God is the one who is able to show up and do the impossibility when you don't imagine it. And what do you see is the response in her life? 
joy and amazement are produced all because God did what he said he would do. Let me raise it to you that God's ability to fulfill the promises that he makes ought to produce a joy in your heart. When my kids ask me for something and I say yes to them, they immediately run with joy. I don't even have to have done it yet. I, I don't even have to have given the thing to them. I, I could simply say yes. Pondered that this morning. What makes my children rejoice over something that they don't have yet? It is because when daddy says he's going to do it, he ain't just saying the words, but he has the ability to do what he said he's going to do. Well, there are promises that God has made and that God has absolutely fulfilled. God has made the promise to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And there are people in the room that can testify that just like God said he could do it, God absolutely did it. There were some of you whose backs were up against the wall and you didn't know how you were going to pay the bill that you had to pay. But because God said he would and God did it, you were able to experience a deeper joy. There were some who were wondering when the pandemic was going on on, does God have the ability to keep me? But God promised that he could keep you. And because he kept you, it produced joy in your soul. There were some of you who were dealing with real deep guilt until you met Jesus Christ. And he promised that when you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God would forgive you. And now you stand here, you sit here with forgiveness because he promised it like he said he would. And he gave you that forgiveness. And what has it done? It has produced joy in your heart. Well, if God has made promises to you in the past and he has made those things to happen, what does it tell you about God? Is that he is able to say something and back up what he says. He is able to make a promise and he is able to fulfill that promise. And if God is able to fulfill that promise, it ought to produce a joy that wells up in your soul. It ought to make you shout when you feel like shouting. It ought to make you cry when you feel like crying. It ought to make you say, Lord, you are good because even though I'm waiting on you to do this thing, I've seen you fulfill promise in the past. And since you've done it in the past, I know that you are able. God's ability to fulfill his promises should give you joy. There was a situation prior to 1960. People often stood and stared at the moon. There are songs about it. There are stories about people singing to the moon. No one in their wildest dreams prior to 1960 believed that we would ever set foot on it. That's why in 1961, when JFK announced to the world that we're going to go to the moon and we're going to walk on it, people laughed at it because the idea of walking on the moon seemed too far-fetched and people didn't believe that it was even a possibility. So the nerds at NASA <laughs> and the geniuses got together and began to work on advanced technology. 
And they began to train astronauts for something that no one had ever done before. And it was on July 20th, 1969, when the world watched as Apollo 11 successfully landed. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin took their first steps on the moon. The impossible was made possible by geniuses somewhere in a lab. One small step for man, but it was one giant leap for humanity. Well, my question for you this morning is if God, if geniuses could make us jump from one space rock to another, what is it that God cannot do? Is there anything impossible for God? You and I sit rooted in a faith that is grounded in the reality that God does impossible things. Some kind of way God did the impossible when he stepped out onto nothing and spoke to nothing and made nothing spew out something ex nihilo. Some kind of way God made the impossibility a possibility when God reached down and kissed with his divine lips dirty humanity that existed on earth. Some kind of way God made the impossibility a possibility when he stuffed all of his glory into human skin, clothes, name, Jesus Christ. Some kind of way God made the impossibility a possibility when Jesus was able to come and turn water into wine. Some kind of way God did the impossible when Jesus was able to touch Bartimaeus and to give him sight. Some kind of way God made an impossibility a possibility when Jesus stepped out on the water and did not begin to sink. Some kind of way God made an impossibility a possibility when Jesus spoke to a storm and told it to sit down. Some kind of way God made an impossibility a possibility when Jesus looked at a tomb and said, Lazarus, come forward. Some kind of way God made an impossibility a possibility when Jesus took your sin upon his back. Jesus would sit upon a cross and he would pull air into his lungs because the weight of my sin and the weight of your sin the weight of your sorrow and my sorrow, the weight of your discouragement and my discouragement, the weight of your pain and my pain would sit on Jesus' back and God did an impossible thing when Jesus breathed his last breath. God, who had never tasted death, God, who had never touched it before, now knew death because his son had died. But if you're familiar with the gospel story, you know that Friday night wasn't the end of the story because as we say in my church, Early on a Sunday morning, God made an impossibility a possibility when Jesus told a stone to roll away and he got up with all power in his hands. You and I serve a God who takes impossible things and makes them into possibilities. I don't care what you're dealing with this morning. You might be struggling in your soul. Doubt might be your bedfellow. You might be struggling to believe that God is able, but you serve a God who says, I'm able because you got Jesus. And if you got Jesus, it says, I'm able to make the impossibility a possibility. So keep on praying for that marriage. Keep on holding on to the Lord. Keep on, keep on serving 
Jesus faithfully. Keep on praying audacious prayers. Keep on taking risks for the Lord. Keep on telling folks about Jesus. Keep on praying to the Lord. Keep on believing him for your marriage. Keep on believing him for your children. Keep on believing him for your health because there is nothing that is impossible with God. That, friends, is the question that God raises and answers for you. There ain't nothing impossible with me. You might think you can do some things, but we as finite humans come to a point where we recognize there are things that are far beyond our control. Yeah, there might be people on your job who answer you when you call their names, but there are things outside of that that you have no control over. But God holds the world in the palm of his hands. God holds even the heart of the king in his hands and wills it as he chooses, that God is able to do what he said he can do. God is able. Will you pray with me? Lord, I find my heart challenged many days to trust that you're able. But Lord, the fact that I stand here cloaked in your righteousness, filled with your spirit, believing in a resurrected Savior. Jesus, the fact that you sit on the right hand of the Father making intercession for us is evidence that you do impossible stuff. And so, God, wherever people are in the room, wherever people are in other campuses, wherever people are watching this, listening to this, Lord, will you touch their hearts? Whisper, Holy Ghost, to their souls. Speak loudly from your word to deepen their faith in you. In fact, God, I pray that you would surprise some folks and in that surprising action, God, that their faith would be strengthened so that when the winds of life come, we can stand flat-footed with joy. Hope doesn't have to die because you are able to turn impossibilities into possibilities. It's in Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray this prayer. Let the church say amen. Amen, church, let's stand. Let's stand in response. the only 
And maybe you're here this morning and you are struggling with that truth. Maybe you have some prayers that seem impossible to pray or you've grown weary of praying it alone. We're gonna have leaders up at the front and we wanna take some time to pray over you and pray for you because we need people to fight the battles with us, amen? Amen. So if you need prayer, well, leaders up at the front, we'd love to pray with you. If this is your first time here, I'd love to meet you in the lobby. I'll be over at the welcome table. And I'd just love to get to know your name and be able to connect with you and help you get plugged in here at Harvest. For everyone here, as you go out on mission for the Lord, a God who is almighty and all-powerful, know that you are loved.